Good morning. So, how are you guys doing? I got to make myself feel comfortable, so I'm going to talk to you just for a few seconds. Um, as you know, Trent's not here, or he's very tanned right now. Uh, but he's on vacation, and he asked me to speak this week. Um, so, I think that uh, everyone that is here today is here for a reason, uh, not because of me and what I'm speaking of, but something that God wants you to hear today. Okay. My name is Angelo. If you guys didn't know, I'm a part of the elder team. Yay. I'm excited about that, man. I, I'm really excited. I, I would have never guessed um, that I would become an elder, um, and it's been such a blessing for me. Uh, to just work my way through um, with other Christians and just, you know, learning God and, and just learning how to be in a personal relationship with him. Have you guys ever watched wrestling? No? <laughs> there we go. So when I think of wrestling, I think of WWE, right? World Wrestling Entertainment, right? Wrestlers like The Rock. <laughs> if you smell what God is cooking. Or an iconic Hulk Hogan. All right? All of the Hulkamaniacs, all right? Doing the, doing the crowd calls. Or one of my favorite... Nature Boy, Ric Flair. <laughs> oh, you can say it. Woo! Right? Wake someone up with that. Would you get in the ring with one of these guys? No, I don't think so. What if I told you that wrestling can refer to more than a physical sport? We know this because there are times in life when we are faced with situations that seem dark, situations that cause us to question our faith and the promises of God's word. Other times we struggle in circumstances in the world that causes us to be distracted from God as we try to battle things on our own efforts. If you open your Bibles up to Genesis 32, and if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. If you need a Bible, please stop past our welcome desk. We would love to give you a copy of God's Word. So I'm a, I'm a real movie buff. I love going to the movies and watching um, all types of movies. Uh, in particular, I like movies that start from the end of the movie first, right? You have that dramatic scene, and the main character is in some type of situation that they can't get out of, and, and then they have those, those iconic words. So how did I get myself into this? So let's read Genesis 32. This is how we're going to start off today. Genesis 32, 22 through 26. The same night he arose, and he took his two wives his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob 
was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And one of the stranger stories, not as strange as last week, when, but it's a strange story nonetheless. I think so. But great teachings in this. So Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, who we saw on the altar last week. Has an all-night wrestling match that leads him to be crippled for the rest of his life. Have you ever been jumped from behind in a real fight? Or maybe in a play fight with your brother or your sister or a friend. You know, oftentimes I'm playing with my son Emilio and we're play fighting around, you know. And then there's times where I'm like, all right, Emilio, that's enough. And I'll go off. And he goes and jumps on my back or my head or gives me a shot in the kidneys or something like that. It's like, Millie, we stopped playing like an hour ago, bud. <laughs> so this is what happened to Jacob. And he was jumped. And it began an all-night steel cage, no holes bar, over the top, that left him permanently marked in his body and in his heart. So a natural question you might have is, who was he wrestling with? So let's answer that right now. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, Jesus shows up. Christophany, they, they call it Christophany. It means pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And we saw that uh, last week. And you probably are asking another natural question like I was. Why did Jesus show up in the middle of the night, ambush Jacob, and dislocate his hip? Or simply put, what was the reason for the wrestling match? That's the question that we want to answer this morning. But I think in order to do that, we must go back and survey Jacob's life because it's his life that led him to wrestling with God. So our story begins in Genesis 25. Abraham, the grandpa, has, has passed away. Isaac and Rebecca are, are married, and they want to have children. Rebecca is barren just like Isaac's mom, Sarah, was. But Isaac prays for this. And he prays for 20 years for Rebecca to have children. And God blessed her with twins, Jacob and Esau. But before they were born, they were already in conflict. And in Genesis 25, 22, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her in verse 23, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. 
The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And that was only a glimpse of the conflict that was, that was still to come between these guys. So Jacob and Esau, two different people, like night and day, right? Different in personalities, different in looks. Esau was the oldest, only by a few seconds, but that gave him the birthright. And Esau was a tough, macho guy. And we know he was red, he was hairy, and he liked to hunt. You know, if I was thinking about Esau, I would think that uh, he probably watched Sports Center, right? drove an F-150 with a big decal on the back, and he had Pittsburgh Steelers season tickets, right? <laughs> Jacob, on the other hand, was an indoors guy. We know he had smooth skin, and he loved to cook, and he, he probably watched The Bachelor. Drove a Mini Cooper and had a Pinterest account. Don't laugh. I have a Pinterest account. <laughs> Jacob means supplanter. So we know that God clearly said that the younger will receive the birthright. Uh, this wasn't the usual custom. You know, the older son usually got the birthright. The headship of the family, which normally came with a double portion of inheritance, right? Two-thirds of the wealth of the family. And then the promise of God was passed down to the one that had the birthright. Esau, he didn't really care about the birthright, right? He kind of despised it a little bit. And I would think with these two boys growing up, they were pretty competitive Right, two boys, you know, always searching for attention of their mom and dad. Uh, I would guess that Jacob was probably a little in, inferior to Esau. And Esau was a manly man. He was a hunter. You know, he was definitely hairy. Jacob was more of a mama's boy, right? He was more of a thinker. He thought his way through everything, more of a conniver, manipulator. And we know that Esau preferred, Isaac preferred Esau over Jacob. So as these guys got a little older, there was a time where Esau was out hunting, and he was hunting all day, and he came back in, and he saw Jacob cooking some stew. And he said, hey, bro, let me get some of that stew. And Jacob, kind of looking at the opportunity, right, trying to be, get better at his, at, his, at his older brother, so he said, oh, I'll trade you some of this delicious stew for... Hmm. For your birthright, Esau, being a man of the here and now and kind of thinking impulsively and concerned only with short-term gratifications and not long-term effects of his decisions, said, well, what good is my birthright if I die of hunger? That was a bit dramatic, but he said yes. You know, birthright, bowl of stew. I don't know about that. So as these guys got a little older, we know that Jacob was mom's favorite. So you can see kind of dynamics here where Isaac was Esau's favorite, Rebecca was Jacob's favorite. And I'm pretty sure during that time that she kind of groomed Jacob, 
You know, this was her, this was her little boy. You know, she groomed him. She, and she probably let him in on that promise, too, where the older would serve the younger, you know, time and time again to ingrain that into his brain. And she knew what God promised, and in her mind, she was, she was simply trying to help God out, you know, kind of like we do sometimes, you know, rearranging things so God's promise could be fulfilled. And we should know that we cannot achieve God's will in our own way. God's will will be accomplished in his own perfect timing. God's word stands alone on its own, whether we like it or not, or whether we obey it or not. So Jacob was trying to control things because he was, he was learning from his mom, you know, how to control things. And we can just note the family dysfunction here, right? Favoring one child over another, you know, that never pans, that never pans out well for family. And controlling things and manipulating things. You know, sometimes we're, we're like that, whether we like to admit it or not. You know, God has promised us so much for free. But we ignore those promises. You know, we scheme when God has promised us wisdom. We worry when God has promised us peace. We work when God says you have not because you ask not. We think just because it's free, it must not be worth a whole lot. And Jacob didn't trust God for what he might do. He wanted to be in control. And we know exactly where he got that from. His mother. So Isaac is now old and near death and about to grant blessings on Esau. This is what you're supposed to do back then. And he tells Esau to go out into the field and hunt his best game and come back and prepare him a meal, and he's going to bless him. Jacob and his mother plots on this. You know, they want to make sure that Jacob gets the blessing. You know, tent, the tent walls must have been pretty thin, you know. So they panicked because they know as soon as Esau blesses, as soon as Jacob, as soon as Isaac blesses Esau, it's binding, right? There's no way you can take that back. And this is from, coming from God. So they panicked. They're not willing to trust God and keep his word. So Rebecca, check this out, dresses Jacob up like Esau. Goes in, grabs Esau's best clothes, right? Even put goat hair, because Esau was pretty hairy. Put goat hair on his arms and on his neck and probably sprayed a little bit of animal musk, right? So at this time, again, Isaac is pretty old and half blind, so you know, he doesn't know it's Jacob. And Genesis 27, 27 through 29. So he came near and kissed him. 
And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. He must have smelled that, that musk. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of the grain and wine. Let people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Curse it. Be everyone who curses you and bless it. Be everyone who blesses you. And just as he came, Jacob left. Esau comes in. Hey, Pop, here's your meal. What, 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 what's going on? You can bless me now. I just blessed you. And then they realize it was Jacob who deceived them. And they both weeped because they knew that they couldn't take it back. So just for a second here, let's just look at the dynamics because Isaac, right, is wrong too. God said that the older will serve the younger. But he charges ahead, right? He charges ahead to bless Esau. And Isaac appears innocent in all of this, but he's not. They are all trying to achieve God's will through their own efforts. And we know that God will accomplish his perfect will regardless of what we do. So when Esau finds out, he's furious. I mean, he's more than furious. He wants to kill his brother Jacob. He promises to kill Jacob as soon as his father passes away. And Jacob knows that his brother is not kidding this time. So Jacob must, he, he has to get out of Dodge, man. He has to go. He has to run away. So once again, mom intervenes and tells Jacob to leave and go stay with her family instead of facing his brother and dealing with the conflict as a family. And here we see decisions being made from fear. Every decision we make based on fear will not be in accordance of God's will. So at this point, Jacob's life, no evidence of faith at all. Because we know that faith is acting like God tells the truth. Instead of trusting God and a promise he made, Jacob at this point is truly living out his name. Trickster, schemer. So he's on the run. And he's going towards his mother's brother's house. So he gets to a point where he needs to rest and he dreams. And God shows up. And we, he sees angels ascending and descending up a ladder. And these staircases reach from heaven all the way down to earth. And the Lord says to Jacob, 
I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So in spite of Jacob's stupidity, manipulation, and despite of this family's dysfunction, God keeps his promise. God is letting Jacob know, and God is also letting us know that he is the God of mercy, that he is the God of grace, and he is the God of pardon. Now, God doesn't love us in proportion to our love to him. God's love is everlasting. No matter what we do, God couldn't love us any more or any less. And we still have access to God. You know, even though we forsake him, well, he would never forsake us. So this dream that Jacob had, this impression that Jacob had, you know, it was, it made him a believer. You know, God showed up. You know, he was a man of faith now, right? His spirit was made alive. God told him that he would never leave him. In Genesis 28, 20 through 22, you know, we see that Jacob's faith is still young, but the Lord is still with him. And the Lord is not just his father's God and not just his grandfather's God. It's Jacob's God. And he seals this in verse 28. And I'm sorry, in chapter 28, 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can, so, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. Yeah. But we know that following God doesn't make all of our problems go away. You know, so Jacob, he gets to Haran, you know, where his mother sent him. And he meets this beautiful woman. It's his cousin, his first cousin. Don't ask. But it was love at first sight. Isn't that a reality show? Aim, isn't that a reality show? I think it is. Yes. <laughs> but this was, he gave her a kiss. And it's a custom, but, you know, the Bible says that she ran after he kissed her. So I don't know what that was. Either it was a lousy kiss or a terrific kiss. 
So Jacob is spending some time here, and he's, you know, he's, he's helping his uncle out, and he's managing the sheep and all of that. And Uncle Laban hits Jacob up with a proposition. He said, hey, so what would your wages be? I know you're working for me. What would your wages be? He knew what Jacob was thinking. So Jacob said, I'll work for you for seven years for your daughter's hand in marriage. And Jacob knew, and Laban knew that. So he said, of course, that's fine. And Laban, you know, he's a good businessman. You know, so right now, you know, this is where everything is just coming together for Jacob, right? It's a happy ending. The plot comes together. Jacob and Rachel rise off into the sunset. You know, he has God. Nope. So seven years have come and gone, and the wedding night is here. You know, those seven years went pretty fast for Jacob. He's in love. And I got a little confused with it wedding night, too, but I looked it up, and that wasn't odd. I know we, we'll do a wedding for one day, and, you know, but they did a wedding for a whole week. So the first night, you know, Jacob's wedding night, and, you know, he's in a tent with his, with his bride, and she has a veil on, and, you know, he's, he's setting the mood. He's turning on a little jazz, you know. He's serenading her a little bit. My sherry amore. <laughs> and then the next morning comes. And he has married Rachel's older sister, Leah. The plot thickens. Ah! <laughs> Leah! What are you doing? Jacob is surprised, to say the least, so he goes out, and he talks to Laban. What's up, man? What happened? Laban said, oh, oh, look, man, it's harder for me to marry her off. You know, Leah had like a weak eye or something, but he, she wasn't as beautiful as Rachel. So I forgot to tell you, it's our custom that the older daughter has to get married first. And he didn't tell Jacob this, right? I told you Laban was a good businessman. So here's a lesson here. Just because you do right doesn't mean that the world will do right by you. And Jacob is getting a lesson in submission right now. He, he refused to submit to God at home. Now he must submit to his uncle Laban. You know, we know through Matthew 6, 24, that God, you're either going to submit to God or you're going to submit to the enemy. Jacob deceived his father in stealing the blessing of the firstborn. Now he's deceived in marrying the firstborn of Uncle Laban. Right? The chickens always come back to roost. Or as a church folk say, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. So the deceiver has become deceived. So Laban puts up another offer. All right, you can get Rachel's hand in marriage. If you work another seven years, what can Jacob do? Right? He loved Rachel. 
So he worked for another seven years. So we see this lesson in patience for Jacob. And what started out to be a visit just for only a few days turned out to be up to 20 years. He had to wait another six years on top of the 14 to get his wages from Laban, who changed his wages about 10 times. So he starts seeing that Laban didn't regard him in the same favor as he did before. So we see that the Lord says in 31.3, Return to your land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob listens to God. He leaves with his two wives, his two servants, his 12 children, and his sheep. And even during this time where he had to be submissive and patient, he still was blessed by God. God was still with Jacob. You know, but God's not finished with Jacob yet. Jacob's spirit is not tamed yet. He still thinks he's self-sufficient. So this moment that Jacob has been dreading for the last 20 years is almost here. You know, he stole his brother's birthright and his blessing. Now he has to head back home and face his past. So Jacob gets closer to home. He knows he has to go through Esau's land to get to home. So him as a thinker, right? sends a servant ahead, tells a servant, and we note the change here where he's a little humble now, right? He's not all about himself anymore. So he instructs the servant to address Esau as his Lord and him as his servant. As he knows the last time Esau threatened to kill him. So the messengers return to Jacob with not so good news. Matter of fact, it's the worst. Esau's coming his way with 400 armed men. What a meet and greet. I mean, that's 20 years later. Jacob knows that Esau is out for revenge. This is just the way he's thinking. He's just in great distress. So what do we, what do, we do most of the time? When we're in stress, we start planning and trying to figure out what to do. So he splits his household up, splits his wives up, his servants up, his children's up, his cattle up. He's thinking maybe if Esau attacks one group, the other group will get away. You know, he's just in fear right now. And we see how emotional this story is that, you know, Jacob has been the villain, right? And he's also been the victim. Now, he's the child of promise given to Abraham, and yet he still faces tremendous obstacles in his life. Some were self-made, and some were from his own actions. And we say to ourselves at this point, why did God bring him into this situation? The same reason why God brings us into trying situations. To cry out to him. 
God weeds out that which is worldly within us. He weeds out our pride. He weeds out our fear, idolatry. Why? So we can confess our sins and repent. You know, Jacob had to be submissive and patient during this time. And he's went through some trials and tribulations with his uncle Laban. So he's in great fear. Genesis 32, 9 through 12. And Jacob said, Oh God, and he's praying now. He is, he doesn't know what to do. He's in a between a rock and a hard place. He can't go backwards and he can't go forward. Oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me the mothers with the the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. You know, for the first time, Jacob is honoring God. Jacob, in faith, is obeying his command and embracing his promise. And even bigger than that, Jacob has acknowledged that he is a sinner, that he's not self-sufficient. He wants God to deliver him from the hand of his brother. And what a wonderful prayer this is. We can relate to this prayer because there are times where we're often in those moments and we're crying out to God. It's okay for you to remind God Or not even remind God. You're not reminding God, right? But you can tell him the promises that he made to you. And that's not because that God forgets. That's because that you need to be reminded. You know, for his entire life, Jacob could scheme his way out of any situation except this one. And that's often the position that we are in, often. So honestly, do we, do we root for Jacob? Do we root against him? Do we feel sorry for him? You know, how should we view Jacob in this storyline? You know, this story is, is our story, right? We are Jacob. We are the victim, and we are the villain. We've done wrong towards others, been wrong by others, time we've lacked faith and tried to take matters into our own hands, and other times we boldly proclaimed our allegiance to God. God bends us with our problems. God is not interested in us being comfortable. He's interested in us being Christ-like. There's nothing like a problem, right, to get your attention. 
And I think if we can ask God one thing that he will want from us, I really think that the answer would be complete and unconditional surrender. So as we reach the climax of this part of Jacob's life, here's the truth. Sanctification, our growth in Christ, takes longer than we think. It just does. This is a lifelong process. God is pruning us. He already sees us where we are. He's molding this masterpiece. So now we're back to the beginning of the story where Jacob wrestles with God. So our question is, what was the reason for the wrestling match? And I think to answer that question, let's remind ourselves of some of the nature of God and how it played out in Jacob's life. Because God is faithful. Now, he was with Jacob on his journey, and he's with us on our journey. God will faithfully fulfill all that he had promised to do in our lives, just like he did Jacob's. God has a promise for your life, my life, and he will be faithful in helping you and I accomplish that. You can take that to the bank. God is patient. You know, he patiently wrestled with Jacob. He broke him down. And oftentimes we need to be breaking down. But there was one thing. Jacob didn't let God go. And oftentimes we let God go too soon. And we try to figure out things on our own. Don't let him go. Surrender. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us to just take time out and just surrender, just give that situation or that problem up to God because it feels like we're not doing anything. But isn't that the point? God also pursues us like he pursued Jacob. And if there's one thing that I pray we would get from this, from this message is that we are encouraged towards greater freedom and confidence in Christ. God will never stop pursuing you. He'll never stop redirecting you towards his purpose and his plan. Two things Jesus wanted to teach Jacob that night as they wrestled. First thing, God is in control, period. All of Jacob's life, he struggled with this reality. And we are like Jacob. We start our journey thinking that God is not in control, therefore we need to take control. Take control of our relationships, take control of our reputations, take control of our family, fine, you name it, fill in the blank. The wrestling match will serve as a reminder that maturity is often forged through struggle and adversity and hardship, amen? God is also close. 
Don't forget that. A little bit of the story that we didn't read yet in um, verse 27, 29. This is in chapter 32. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed Jacob. By Jacob saying his name, he submitted and surrendered to God. Jacob means supplanter, heel, manipulator, conniver. He wasn't that anymore. He was Israel. The rest of the story, Jacob gets back home. He meets Esau. What happens? Doesn't matter. Read it for yourself. Because it didn't matter to Jacob, right? He couldn't fight Esau with the limp anyway. And Jacob was totally okay with that. He was perfectly fine with that. God is in control and God is close. And as the worship team comes, where do you need to learn that God is in control in your life? Where do you need to be reminded that God is close in your life. Because until then, life will be a series of encounters and circumstances that will make us tempted to act like, I got this, I can handle this, or think you got to run away from it. Every person must come to a point where we realize that all of our fire and all of our struggle is ultimately with God. There will never be an end to it unless you wrestle it out with God himself. What is it going to take for God to get your attention? What is it going to take for God to show you that he is your strength? and your might, and your victory. And Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life, and this was a reminder of his dependence on God. You know, and oftentimes when we are blessed, we walk with a limp instead of a strut. Let's pray. Father God, this has been a blessing day, God, and I, I thank you for all these people being here today to receive your word, God. Let us surrender to you always. We should be the, you should be the first that we go to when we have these situations or problems. You say pray without ceasing, and we shall always be a thought away from praying to you, God. Lead us in the right direction. Lead our hearts, lead our minds. 
Give us the will to go on. Show us your path and your purpose. And we'll thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.